Welcome to Every Moment His, a podcast dedicated to contemplating how God's preached Word impacts every moment of our lives. This sermon was preached at Holy Cross in Kearney, Nebraska by Pastor John Rasmussen. God's grace, mercy, and peace be with each and every one of you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Our text today comes from Mark's gospel as we journey through that gospel this summer, uh, chapter 5, and specifically verses 36 to 38. Let's just hear those words again. Uh, and Jesus said to the woman, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While they were still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Last week's sermon, the the text from Mark chapter 4, was all about faith, both uh, the faith of Jesus and the faith of His disciples, which was really a lack of faith. Uh, Jesus, on the one hand, uh, displays perfect faith in His heavenly Father in the midst of this tumultuous storm out on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, He's like that kid who's asleep on uh, Dad's shoulder in the midst uh, of that storm. He has perfect trust, perfect faith. But the disciples, on the other hand, are having a freak-out moment, right? (laughs) They say, "'Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing?' They're lacking faith. Jesus wakes, and once again, showing His perfect faith, He commands the winds and the waves to hush, to be quiet, and there's calm. And even in the midst of that calm now, the disciples are quaking with fear, and they're wondering, who in the world is this man? And then Jesus asks them point blank, hey guys, where's your faith? Are you still afraid? Well, today's text in Mark chapter 5 really continues this theme of faith. Uh, which makes perfect sense because if you look carefully at Mark's gospel, uh, faith is, is a main focus of the chapters and verses. Because really, Mark is about these two questions. Number one, who is this man? We continually see that question. Who is this man? Where did he get this authority? How does he do these things? Who is this man? And nobody actually gets it until the very end when the centurion says, this man is the Son of God. Uh, Mark wrote his gospel so that you would ask this question and answer it with the response of, this is the Son of God. But also Mark wrote his gospel asking the question, what's the proper response to Jesus? And through all the chapters and verses of Mark, we see that the only proper response to Jesus is faith, to trust Him, to cling to His promises. So today, uh, we see two examples of faith in Jesus. Uh, from two really different people. One person is a person of high social standing, Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. He would have been in charge of the worship life of the synagogue in that town. He would have been a man with a lot of power and a lot of privilege, a lot of access in his society. But his little daughter is at death's door, and so he comes to Jesus with his desperate need. The other woman, very much unlike Jairus, is a woman who's suffering from a chronic health condition, a health condition that would have made her an outcast in society, a condition that eventually cost her all of her money. So she is poor, impoverished, having spent all of her money on useless cure after useless cure. 
But there is one thing that unites Jairus and this woman, and it is their desperate need, a desperate need they bring to Jesus. They don't know exactly who Jesus is. I would be surprised if they know at this point that He is the Son of God. I don't think they know that, but they know nevertheless that Jesus is the answer, and so they bring their need, their desperate need to Him. But there is something, although they have this in common, there is something also that makes their experience of Jesus much different. So the woman comes to Jesus with her need, and that need is met almost immediately. She comes with faith. She reaches out. She touches Jesus. And in that moment, she's healed. But Jairus, on the other hand, comes to Jesus and he must wait for his need to be met. In fact, he must hear first that crippling news of the news of his daughter's death. And he must wait a period of time before Jesus intervenes and heals. And I believe that for you and I as God's people, at different times in our lives, you and I both have experiences of both this woman receiving from Jesus immediately, and we also have the experience of Jairus having to wait for our needs to be met. Sometimes we have to wait even a long time for our faith to become sight. So let's look first at the faith of the woman. Uh, Jesus has heard Jairus' request. He comes and falls down before Jesus and says, come and heal my little daughter before she dies. Uh, So now the crowd that's with Jesus is pressing in on him and following him as he makes that journey to Jairus' house. But then there's this woman we hear about in the story. This this woman kind of interrupts the story where where she's kind of creeping up on Jesus. And, 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 you know, she's kind of an outcast in society, so she doesn't want to get too close to him. So she kind of makes her way through the crowd and she says, if I just touch the back of his garment, I know that I'm going to be healed. And she does. She, uh, she likely had experienced uh, a, well, Mark calls it a flow of blood. Uh, it was likely a uterine bleed, and it's something that today would have been solved with a hysterectomy, but that wasn't possible back then. And so in her case, uh, she went from doctor to doctor, and doctor is not really the best term. Uh, the, the, the prescriptions for this type of illness were very superstitious in the ancient world. Uh, In fact, it says that after she spent all of her money, uh, she was broke, and she had actually gotten worse. But once again, she had heard about Jesus, and her faith causes her to press through the crowd and touch the back of His clothing, and immediately it says that she's healed. Sometimes we come to Jesus, and immediately we receive in faith what we need. The biopsy comes back benign. The cancer that was there is mysteriously gone. When we were given three months to live, we end up living 30 more. The marriage that was on the rocks is saved, and it actually grows stronger after the moment of crisis. The loss of a job leads to a better one, or the addiction becomes a thing of the past, something that no longer cripples. Sometimes we come to Jesus in faith, and just like this woman, we immediately get what we need. And all we can do is fall at the feet of Jesus and give Him the thanks and the praise. But other times, you and I come to Jesus in faith, and despite our faith, we still encounter the worst-case scenario. We still encounter the fear that we feared would become reality. And so we begin a long journey of waiting, often with a lot of anxiety and doubt 
as we wait for Jesus to meet our need. That was certainly the case with Jairus, and I think it's also our case as well. I don't know if you noticed this, but the story of Jairus is actually interrupted by the woman's story. And, you know, just the intensity of that story with, you know, the, the story of her long chronic health issues and then the immediate healing and her, her uh, Jesus looking around to say who did this and all that. You know, it can be easy to kind of actually forget about Jairus, right, in the reading. Like, oh yeah, that guy. Uh, he had his need that he brought to Jesus. It gets interrupted. Now, as you imagine that, I want you to think with me that you're in Jairus' shoes. Let's pretend like you're in Jairus' shoes. If you've ever had a child or a loved one who needed immediate medical attention, like ER, ambulance level attention, you know that every second seems like a minute and every minute seems like an hour. You are just a mess, right, until your loved one gets the care they need. So now imagine that you're Jairus and you're in this situation of of desperate need. The the clock is ticking. You've asked Jesus to come and heal your daughter before time runs out and nothing more can be done. And Jesus says, okay, I'll come. And you get your hopes up. You begin to get your hopes up as you see Jesus walk towards your house with you. But then all of a sudden, on the way, Jesus stops. And he turns around and he says, who touched me? And you think, who cares, Jesus? Let's go. We need to get there. We need to get there before she dies because maybe you can heal her, but nobody can raise the dead. And then Jesus doesn't just stop and ask, who touches me? When the woman comes forward, Jesus actually takes the time to listen to her sob and spill her guts and say, I've been sick for 12 years and I tried all these different cures and I said, if I just touch you, I'll be healed and I touched you and here I am, I've been healed. Jesus takes the time to listen to her. It's kind of like if the ambulance driver pulls over on the way to the hospital and decides to get chitty chatty with somebody. Can you imagine that kind of anxiety and frustration and even anger as you think that the clock is ticking? And then, right after Jesus speaks life-changing words into that woman's life, right after he speaks the best news ever, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your affliction. Right in the moment of the best news ever, seconds later, we get the worst news ever. It's the kind of news that Jairus feared more than anything else. He heard that news. Your daughter's dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Can you feel the crushing weight of that news? Maybe you don't even need to try to imagine what that news is like, what it feels like, because you've felt that. You've heard those words, perhaps even recently. Sometimes we come to Jesus in desperate need and we don't get what we need when we want it. And sometimes we find ourselves waiting for months or years or even our entire lives until our faith becomes actual sight. The cancer's inoperable. The last chance round of chemo doesn't work. The accident's fatal. The injury will never heal. The spouse you thought you'd be with until death has left. The parents you saw every day are now divided between weekdays and weekends. The acceptance into your dream college ends up getting interrupted by crippling depression or anxiety. The pregnancy test says positive, but weeks later you're weeping on your knees. 
the career you bet your life on ends with a downsizing. Sometimes we come to Jesus with our desperate need and we still experience what we feared most. That was true of Jairus. And I think it's true of you and me as well. As a pastor, I have seen God's people get news just as bad as Jairus did, the kind of news that we hope that we never hear. I've seen people encounter Job-level suffering, the loss of a child, the loss of health, the loss of livelihood, sometimes those things all in a row. And in these experiences, I've seen that typically one of two things happens. On the one hand, their faith is weakened, eroded, or even abandoned, or their faith presses deeper into the heart of Jesus Christ as they cry out, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Sometimes the worst news causes people to gradually drift from God and drift from His church, much like that seed that we heard about in the parable, that seed sown on shallow ground that sprouts up quickly, and then it withers when the heat of the sun beats down upon it. But sometimes the worst news causes faith to deepen, and it causes roots to press deeper into the soil of God's promises. Now, I don't know what Jairus was feeling. I don't know if he was feeling anger or despair or doubt or all of the above, but I do know what Jesus spoke to him. As Jairus reels at the crushing weight of his daughter's death, Jesus says to him these words. He says, do not fear, only believe. Now, I want you to see here that Jairus is not saying, or Jesus is not saying to Jairus, hey, Jairus, positive vibes only, positive thinking, cheer up, it's going to be okay. Jesus is not saying any of that, nor is he dismissing the very real pain that's being experienced. No, I believe that this is what Jesus is doing. I'm not sure how long of a walk there was from where Jesus and Jairus were standing, from where they received that news, to where they would go and see Jairus' child lying there dead at his house. I don't know if it was a a two-block walk or a two-mile walk. The text doesn't tell us, but I can tell you that I'm sure it was a long walk there. Each of those footsteps would have been heavy ones for Jairus. And so the question is, what is going to sustain Jairus on that journey to face what he feared most? What would keep him from throwing up his hands in despair And rejecting the help of Jesus, what would keep this man from saying, you know what, you're right, the teacher can't help me anymore? What would keep him from doing that? Well, I believe that it's the calm, confident voice of Jesus that says to him in the midst of the worst news ever, do not fear, only believe. It's that promise, it's that word from Jesus that will allow Jairus to put one foot in front of the other and make that journey home where he will face what he feared most, but he will also have his faith become sight as Jesus takes her little hand and says, little girl, rise. It's those words of Jesus that would sustain Jairus, and it's those same words of Jesus that sustain you and me, because into the worst suffering imaginable that you experience, the worst news possible, when you run into the rough edges of life and you bleed for years and years, into your doubt and anger and even into the finality of death, Jesus Christ places His hand on you. He looks you right in the eyes and He says, do not fear. 
Only believe. Well, believe what? In the case of Jairus, Jesus was inviting him very specifically to believe that contrary to all evidence, death would not have the last word at his house that day. Jesus was inviting him to ignore the words of those who said, don't trouble the teacher anymore. He can't help you. Jesus is inviting Jairus, rather, to cling to those words of Jesus. Do not fear, only believe. Well, you might think, that's great for Jairus. But I buried my loved one, and she's still dead. I prayed for healing, and it didn't come. I believed it didn't do anything. What I want you to see today is this, is that God has actually promised you something far greater than what he gave Jairus and his daughter that day, and he's actually given you better reasons to believe it. After that long journey of both faith and fear to the house, Jesus did raise Jairus' little daughter from the dead. She rose up and she walked again, and she probably grew up and got married and had kids of her own. But somewhere in Galilee on this very day, there is a tomb where her decomposed body is lying. She was raised, and then she died again, just like you and I will, unless our Lord returns first. But somewhere in Jerusalem, there is a tomb where a dead man walked out alive, and that tomb's still empty. And because Jesus lives, all who cling to him in faith will not die, even though they do die. They will still live. You see, because the worst possible thing ever happened to Jesus, the crucifixion and the weight of the judgment of our sins laid on his back, because that has happened, this means that the worst thing will never happen to you who have faith in the Son of God. The worst thing that could ever happen already happened, and it didn't happen to you. It happened to him, and it will never happen to those who are united to him through faith. Christ is risen. Because his tomb is empty, your tomb will be empty someday as well, and all those who are God's beloved people. No matter how bitter life is or will be, for the Christian there will be a day when we will taste and feel and know forever those words that we sang about and read in Lamentations 3, that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Because Jesus Christ himself will take you by the hand, address you by name, and say, get up, rise. As Christians, we long for that day. We groan for it deeply in the Holy Spirit. But in the meantime, like Jairus, we are called to wait. We're called to take the nail-scarred hand of our Savior. And we're called to take that journey mixed with both fear and faith to the place where we will see God's power and mercy revealed. In fact, I would say that Jairus' walk toward his house with nothing but the words of Jesus to rely on, that that walk is a picture of our life as Christians, except that we have better reason to believe than Jairus had. You see, you and I know something that Jairus didn't. We know about the miracles. He did as well. But we know something he didn't know. 
We know that Jesus went to the cross, that He was raised on the third day. We know that He ascended into heaven, that He now rules and reigns over all things for our good, and that He will return and make all things new. In other words, you and I have a clearer picture of who this Jesus is and what He's doing to make all things new. We know more than Jairus did, and so we have better reasons to believe. But in the meantime, we wait. And we often wait alongside the intense experience of grief and pain and loss. Uh, Some of you may may know the hymn, uh, When Peace Like a River. Anybody sung that before? It's a pretty big funeral hymn. Maybe you've sung it at a funeral before. Uh, We sang it at our early service, uh, When Peace Like a River. It was written um, by Horatio Spafford. He was a successful lawyer and real estate investor in Chicago. His family was, uh, they were faithful Christians, devoted to their church, well-known for philanthropy. Uh, They were very generous with their their money. But then in 1871, they lost their son to scarlet fever. And then shortly after the great Chicago fire, they lost a good deal of their real estate, their livelihood. And if things couldn't get worse, a few years later, on a trip back to Europe, uh, the ship that Horatio's wife Anna was on, sunk. Anna barely survived, but the four daughters drowned. Horatio had stayed back in Chicago to handle some business, and so he was not on that ship, but like Jairus, he was there to get the news. And so he had to take the long journey toward a tragedy he could have never imagined. And it's actually on the way to Europe to meet his wife and to grieve their enormous loss together that he wrote the hymn, When Peace Like a River. I want you to see this, that the words that we sing in this hymn only make sense in Jesus. They only make sense in Jesus. You know, sometimes we say things like, all religions are the same, you know, they're basically the same, all paths lead to God. Well, that only makes sense if you don't think about it, right? I mean, like, It's only in Jesus that we can actually say the words that we sing in this hymn. In Buddha, we might learn that we need to accept death and learn detachment in the midst of grief. In works-based religions that we invent for ourselves, we might fear that tragedy strikes because of some sin in our lives or because we didn't pray hard enough or believe well enough. In the atheistic worldview, we might be told that What we need to do is accept the natural reality of death and then just do the best we can with some psychoanalysis afterwards. But it's only in Jesus that someone crushed by suffering could sing something like this. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Those words are not a denial of grief or pain. It's not just positive vibes overcoming the tragedy. It's an expression of the voice of Jesus saying through song, do not fear, only believe. Though Satan should buffet, though trial should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and hath shed his own blood for my soul. You see, it's the giving of Christ's life and it's his resurrection from the dead and it's his claim on your life 
that calms our fears and creates faith in the midst of the worst. A faith that endures the worst that life throws at us until the day that we see Jesus face to face and with our own eyes we see what we believed all along the way. In closing, uh, I'll just share an experience I've had this week of that kind of faith. Um, I was talking to somebody at our church who has gone through a scary journey with their health. Um, and uh, the, the condition is right now handled. Um, and there's not a, a, an issue right now, but it's one of those health concerns that can always return. And so a bit scary to say the least. And uh, hearing that her annual checkup was coming, I just asked her the simple question. I just said, how are you doing? And what she said struck me. Uh, she said, I'm fine until I'm not fine. And then I'm still fine. I'm fine until I'm not fine. And then I'm still fine. And what that means is this. Like the woman who came to Jesus to receive healing, I've been healed. But if I ever get the bad news like Jairus did, which, you know, we're all going to get eventually, I'll still be fine because I belong to Jesus. May God grant us all the same faith in the midst of our fears as well. Amen.